I was telling the group on Sunday, we've got ground to make up. So tonight, strap on your safety belts. We're gonna cover some ground. There's a section here that um, perhaps we can get, get through this section. We'll see. Uh, but basically, it's a section that changed when we finished chapter six. Um, chapter one through six deals with Jeremiah's ministry during the reign of Josiah the king. Chapter seven through 11 goes through the reign of Jehoiakim uh, and uh, Josiah's son. And it's a different era, different season. And this section of scripture is a little different because Jeremiah's got a different message. The first message in verses, or chapters one through six was basically the message you know, Israel, you're going down. Jerusalem, you're going down like the Northern 10 tribes because your rebellion against the Lord. The Babylonians are coming and they're gonna wipe out Jerusalem. And it was a real brutal message. Um, and so it's kind of a hard thing to listen to. And, and for that reason, people didn't like Jeremiah. And they would very early in his ministry, and this by the way is when Jeremiah was in his 20s. He was a young, young prophet. Um, same age, by the way, as Josiah. Uh, and um, or, or very close, I should say, uh, in age. And they were probably friends because they were a couple of the few young guys in Israel that loved the Lord and had a real relationship with the Lord, not the poser, fake relationship that so many others in Israel had. And so here tonight, we kind of pick up this new section. Uh, and this section in chapter seven is called the Temple Dis Discourses. Um, that is... Uh, if you could picture in your mind's eye, Jeremiah at the temple, and he starts out in the gate of the temple and works his way into the courts eventually. We'll see that even perhaps tonight. But he starts in the gate, and whether it's the hold the gates or the east gate, one doesn't know for sure. The hold the gates were the, the east, uh, or pardon me, the southern uh, gates that went from the, te uh, the temple steps, the, the southern steps. You'd go up these steps and go into the hold the gates and then you'd go up into uh, the, the uh, outer courtyard from there. And so Jeremiah would start in the gates, whether that one or the east gate or the beautiful gate, as it's called in some places. Um, either way, it would, it would be where people would gather to come in to the temple to worship. Um, if you could picture people traveling from, you know, a far ways away and, um, and uh, bringing their sacrificial lamb and their family and they're making their way up the temple steps and, and uh, people from Jerusalem making their way into the temple and, and Jeremiah sort of being the preacher. It'd be almost like if y'all came to Athey Creek on a Sunday like you used to. And, um, <laughs> and if you're coming into the sanctuary, but Pastor Brett's preaching out on the parking lot as you guys are coming in to go to church. Um, and uh, I'm just kind of yelling a sermon and one that you don't like. Um, and it's got a little bit of doom and gloom in it. You'd be like, man, Brett, Brett's a little wacko. Uh, what's going on there? Well, that's what Jeremiah was doing. Before they even made it to the temple, Jeremiah's sort of preaching these uh, prophetic words that are pretty heavy. Um, and that's why these are called the temple discourses. Chapter seven through 10 uh, is really this section, I should say. So um, these discourses, uh, again, like I said, during the reign of Jehoiakim, let's pick it up in verse one. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say, hear the word of the Lord, all ye of Judah, that enter in these gates to worship the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your doings, and I will cause you to dwell in this place. Trust ye not, 
in lying words saying, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. For if you thoroughly amend your ways and your doings, if you thoroughly execute judgment between a man and his neighbor, if you oppress not the stranger, the fatherless, the widow, and shed not innocent blood in this place, neither walk after other gods to your, to your hurt, then will I cause you to dwell in this place in the land that I gave you to your fathers forever and ever. Behold, you trust in lying words that cannot profit. Will you, uh, will you steal, murder, and commit adultery, and swear falsely, and burn incense to Baal, and walk after other gods whom you know not, and come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered unto to do all these abominations? Is this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, even I have seen it, saith the Lord. Uh, Jeremiah, these are heavy words as people are coming in and they're hearing Jeremiah saying, you know, you gotta, you gotta mend your ways. That, if, if, if there's a main point here, point number one of this chapter is, this is God's call for people to amend their ways, change their ways. And he says, amend your ways and do it thoroughly. Uh, you know, uh, verse five, for if you thoroughly amend your ways and your doings, if you thoroughly execute judgment between a man and his neighbor. See, the idea is that not just a half-hearted sort of, well, I guess we better be a little better Best, we best stop committing adultery and worshiping Baal and other gods and deities and doing all these horrible, wicked, sinful things. He says, you need to thoroughly amend your ways. You gotta fix your doings, um, as it says here in verse three. Now, the reason this is important is because, you, you, you might say, what's the problem, man? The people, Jeremiah's preaching to the choir. Uh, these are the people that are coming to the temple to worship. What, what's Jeremiah's problem? Well, the problem is simply that they're, they're, the problem was that they were not changing their ways, but they were still going up to the temple to worship. Um, do you see the problem there? They were, you know, just the Sunday Christian, if you would, in the New Testament terms. You know, Sunday, go to church, put on your Christian face, say praise the Lord a few times and open your Bible and sing a hymn. And then on Monday, man, you're out there cussing and cheating and sleeping around and doing your meth in Portland, uh, which is legal, uh, and thinking you're good about that. And then come back to Athey Creek on a Sunday. It's the same kind of thing, only ancient times, Sabbath day uh, on Saturday, you know, Friday night to Saturday. Um, and these people were coming to the temple saying, the temple of the Lord, look at it, the temple of the Lord, the temple. They were really into the temple. Now, why were they into the temple? This is an interesting thing um, where if you recall Josiah at, uh, uh, as uh, the young king in Israel, um, eight years old when he began to reign. And uh, when he became a teenager, he started to clean out the temple. The temple had sat in sort of dust and it had become sort of an empty building in the middle of, this, of Jerusalem and nobody used it. It was like a ghost town temple. And so Josiah, this king says, man, we gotta clean out the temple and start using it. Remember Hilkiah and Shaphan. Now Hilkiah, by the way, was very probably uh, Jeremiah's father. Shaphan the scribe, Hilkiah the priest, they, they were the two guys that were working and cleaning the temple and they found, they're the old scrolls. Do you remember this? They found the scrolls of the book that is the Pentateuch, which was the Bible of that day. Um, it was just, you know, Genesis through Deuteronomy. And they found it. And, and they said, look what we found. We found the lost book. And they went and showed Josiah. And Josiah read it <clears throat> and he ripped his clothes because he said, man, we have lost 
the most important thing of our nation of worshiping the Lord and the word of God. And we've blown it all off for all these times. And so, man, not only did they clean out the temple, but Josiah and the elders of Israel got all the people of Israel together. And they're, um, you know, basically said, listen, you know, you, you need to hear the words of the Lord. And so they read the word to all the people's ears in Israel. Well, there was a revival seemingly in the land. And people started making their way to the temple. In fact, let me read to you. There's, a, there's actually an interesting thing that was said about that time period when uh, this happened. It's 2 Chronicles chapter 36. Listen what, as I read uh, verses 18 and 19. This is the description of the, of the very first Passover that Josiah keeps according to scripture because he found the scriptures. The temple was reopened. They had this huge Passover celebration. Check this out. This is uh, 2 Chronicles 36, 18, it says, and there was no Passover like that kept in Israel from the days of Samuel the prophet, neither did all the kings of Israel keep such a Passover as Josiah kept. And the priests and the Levites and all of Judah and Israel were present and the inhabitants of Jerusalem in the 18th year of his reign of Josiah um, was this Passover kept. Isn't that something? Josiah at the age of what was it like 27 now? He has this Passover of all Passovers. All of Jerusalem comes, he, he, he's cleaned out the temple and there's no Passover since the time of way back in Samuel's day um, until the present, Josiah keep, keeps this amazing Passover. At the temple, people came and gathered. What a beautiful event. Now fast forward years later, Jeremiah's prophesying, Josiah is now gone and the next king, Jehoiakim is in, in reign. But Jeremiah is calling the Jews out, saying, you guys come here on your temple, you know, Sabbath and all this, but you're just going through motions. It's not real. It's not you really loving God and having a personal relationship with God. You're just playing games with God. And he's calling them out. And the Lord says, with Jeremiah, the Lord says, I have seen this with my own eyes. And so what's the admonition? What's the challenge? Amend your ways. Stop worshiping Baal on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then coming on the Sabbath, Friday night and Saturday, and doing your you know, Jewish rituals, and then going and worshiping Ashtoreth or all these other gods and goddesses. Stop playing games with God. That's really what Jeremiah is calling out the people. Um, could it be that we have things that make us feel well and wonderful, like the temple of the Lord? They were saying, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. They're saying it over and over again, like it's some big deal. Did you ever notice how Jesus seemed to never be that impressed with the temple? Uh, remember the disciples took Jesus up to the temple, which was a remodeled you know, sort of temple by Herod the Great. It was a glorious temple, beautiful. And they brought Jesus there and the disciples, you can almost hear this, hey, Jesus, check out the temple. This is pretty awesome. It's amazing, isn't it? And do you remember what Jesus, he kind of looked at and said, you know, not one of these stones will remain upon another. This temple will be destroyed. Um, he made this prophecy that it was gonna be destroyed. He didn't even go, wow, it's pretty. He didn't say, nice job. He said, no, it's gonna be destroyed. Uh, don't be so into your temple. Uh, and then Jesus, and then later Paul would kind of talk about how it's gonna be Christ dwelling in your temple. Don't you know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? And that's, that's what would be ultimately in the church after Jesus died, uh, was buried and rose again and ascended into heaven. Uh, that's kind of the main thing. But I wonder if some of us have that same propensity to put our trust or glory in the things that we have that are trappings of spirituality. 
You know, hopefully, God forbid, we're not saying AC Creek, AC Creek, AC Creek, because it's not about AC Creek. It's about the Lord. It's about having a personal relationship with the Lord. AC Creek's existence is only to try to help people get closer to the Lord, to know his word, to be saved and to repent of their sins and, and follow Jesus. That's what AC Creek's about. And I hope no one's saying, AC Creek, AC Creek, AC Creek. I hope they're saying, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. No sweeter name that we know than Jesus Christ. Not, not unto us, Psalm 115 says, but unto thy name give glory and honor. So many of us have this propensity to say, look at me, look at my ministry or look at our church or look what we're doing. And it's really not about that at all. It's really about what is the Lord doing? And um, is, are we going away from a, a podcast? Are we going away from a sermon? Are we going away from a worship service or an online you know, study? Uh, Wednesday night Bible study, are we going away saying, wow, uh, AC Creek, AC Creek, or um, even, even good stuff, through the Bible, through the Bible, through the Bible. Like that's, that's, that's not what we're glorifying as our going through the Bible. We're saying going through the Bible is really important. And it's that tool that God's using to help us to draw nearer to him. It's all about the Lord. And uh, God forbid that we get to this place where we're playing games with God and we're all into our own things, uh, playing games on, especially on Sunday morning or on Wednesday night, God forbid that that's happening. So that's the situation here in Jeremiah seven and Jeremiah standing on the temple steps, telling the people this pretty radical. Well, we pick it up in verse 12. But go ye now to my place, which was in Shiloh, where I set my name at the first, and see what I did to it. For the wickedness of my people Israel, and now because you have done all these works, saith the Lord, and I spake unto you, rising up early and speaking, but you heard not. I called to you, but you did not answer. Therefore will I do unto this house, which is called by my name, wherein you trust, and unto the place which I gave to you and your fathers as I have done to Shiloh. What's Shiloh? Well, Shiloh was the place where the tabernacle was sort of temporarily, permanently set. Remember, the, the tabernacle was the tent of meeting that they carried with them all around the wilderness. But when they finally made it into the promised land, crossed over the Jordan River, they set up camp uh, for the tabernacle in Shiloh. And that tabernacle sat there for several hundred years. Uh, that's where people came to worship. Uh, it wasn't the temple in Jerusalem. Um, that would only come uh, really after, uh, you know, David would build up Jerusalem, take the Jerusalem from the Jebusites and prepare to build the temple where Solomon would build the temple. But before it was the temple in Jerusalem, it was Shiloh, um, which is in the West Bank of Israel. You can go there to this day and see the rocks and the ruins where they had the tabernacle sat. It's still there, you can see it. It's actually one of the more amazing spots, I think, in Israel to visit. I love going to that place called Shiloh. But what happened to Shiloh? Well, Shiloh was destroyed in 1050 BC uh, and wiped out, no longer to be the tent of meeting or the place of worship. Um, why? Well, the psalmist tells us the answer to that. Check this out. Here's what Jeremiah is talking about. But we have a better description here in Psalm 78, verses 56 through 60. I'll read it to you. Psalm 78, 56 through 60 says, uh, they, yet they tempted and provoked the most high God and kept not his testimonies, but turned back and dealt unfaithfully like their fathers. They were turned aside like a deceitful bow. Uh, for they provoked him to anger with their high places and moved him to jealousy with their graven images. When God heard this, he was wroth and greatly abhorred Israel so that he forsook the tabernacle of Shiloh, the tent 
which he placed among men. That's verse 60. So 56 or 60, Psalm 78 describes the very same problem was that they were worshiping other gods and had idols and worshiped God in the high places. And God says, enough. So he destroyed Shiloh. Now Jeremiah's reaching back into history to 1050 you know, BC and saying, remember when Shiloh was destroyed? That's exactly what's gonna happen to this temple. It's gonna be destroyed for the same reasons because of the idolatry of the people. Well, verse 15, and I will cast you out of my sight as I have cast out all your brethren, even the whole seed of Ephraim. Remember, that's the northern 10 tribes that he's referring to. Verse 16, therefore pray not thou for this people, neither lift up or cry nor prayer for them, neither make intercession to me, for I will not hear thee. Don't pray for these people. I wonder if Jeremiah's like, oh Lord, come on, please save these people. And the Lord's like, stop praying for them. Why? The Lord had already made up his mind. Did you know that Genesis chapter six tells us that the spirit of the Lord will not always strive with man. There's a point where God says, nope, it's over, it's done. And God forbid that any of us get to that place of rebellion where we uh, finally uh, get to that point where God says, okay, you really, really want to live this way, to uh, worship other gods, have your own deal, then the Lord will say, okay. Remember Romans chapter one, it talks about those that were proud, neither thankful, are uh, giving thanks to the Lord for what he's done, but they were rebellious and they're stubborn minds and they did stuff. And there's all kinds of sins of rebellion listed in Romans chapter one. But remember the phrase there that to me is so heartbreaking um, and I'm sure it breaks the heart of the Lord, but, uh, but people that are so stubborn, it says the Lord will finally get to a place where he'll give them over to their own lusts. He'll give them over to their own devices, their own way. Um, you, you know, it seems that the spirit of God will strive with you saying, man, break off your sin, repent and turn to the Lord, do the right thing. Uh, but, but if you push hard enough, long enough against the Lord, the spirit will not always strive with you. And he'll finally say, time's up, click, stopwatch is over. Um, and that's what happened to Israel with Shiloh. That's what happens to Israel right now with the people of Jeremiah. God determined to do what he's gonna do to the people because they were so rebellious. They for so long did their own thing and rebelled against the Lord. Jeremiah is told, don't even, don't even pray for these people because it's already a done deal. There's a question for you to think about. Maybe we'll answer it tonight if we have time. Um, uh, do, do, is there ever a time where you should stop praying for someone? Uh, there's a thought. Uh, we'll talk about that in a second. If we get to the passage I'm thinking of uh, in time tonight, got a lot of ground to cover. Um, so don't pray, don't intercede. I will not hear your prayers. Um, well, verse 17 says, seest thou not what they do in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? The children gather wood and the fathers kindle the fire and the women knead their dough to make cakes to the queen of heaven and to pour out drink offerings unto other gods that they may provoke me to anger. What's going on here? The Lord says, don't even pray for these people because they're getting their little fires together and they're kneading their dough, making cakes to the queen of heaven. Who's the queen of heaven? Well, there's an interesting story um, and we don't have a lot of time to go into it, um, but it's this ancient mystery Babylonian religion that started way back, remember Nimrod? and the story of Semiramis and Tammuz. Well, Semiramis was called the queen of heaven. Now in Rome, her name became Venus and uh, it was Venus and Cupid and all that. Uh, in Canaan, it was Ashtoreth and Baal. 
So they're really all the same gods. I hope you kind of know that when you're studying the gods of ancient peoples, uh, a lot of times they try to separate that Baal and, and Ashtoreth and Semiramis and Venus and Cupid and all these gods of the Romans, that they're all different. They're not. They're just, they're very much the same ancient mystery Babylonian religion that goes all the way back to the Tower of Babel um, and that whole story where God scattered the people and confused their languages. But this queen of heaven uh, story, and by the way, there's a whole counterfeit story uh, that is there um, that had to do with, um, you know, Tammuz, who's sort of this messianic type figure who actually was told to have raised from the dead, which we know he didn't. Uh, that would only be Jesus. But you know, Satan is a counterfeiter and it's no wonder that he's got this queen mother of heaven sort of individual that the Bible really does not teach at all. If there's ever a queen mother of heaven, it's an anti-biblical theme. I hope, I hope you understand this because uh, uh, you might say, well, where do some of these traditions come from? If you were raised in certain traditions of, of liturgy, Mary's kind of the queen mother of heaven. And she's almost deified. In fact, some circles she is deified, almost as if she's God herself. And uh, that's very pagan. Where, where did all that come from? Boy, you know, this story where these, they're gathering wood and kindling a fire, kneading their dough, this is actually something you're not gonna wanna hear. Have you ever heard of hot cross buns? Uh, you're like, oh yeah, Jesus buns. They have a picture of the cross on them. And that's great if that's what you think. And, and if, if you're making hot cross buns as a tradition because you're focusing on Jesus, I applaud that. But actually hot cross buns, unbeknownst to many, uh, and, and uh, you, you'd have to do some digging in history to kind of find this, but it actually goes back to this ancient pagan mystery Babylonian religion of Semiramis, Tammuz, Nimrod, and, um, and the hot cross bun tradition. In fact, there was a bunch of traditions that came out of that people used to put a certain kind of log on the fire. And it was a, it was a part of the celebration of Semiramis and, and Tammuz and Ishtar and all this stuff. Uh, Easter, uh, the word comes from Ishtar, which is a ancient pagan Babylonian thing. And the certain kind of log was called the Yule log. <laughs> and they used mistletoe in their religious practices and had all kinds of strange little practices. Now, some of you are saying, Brett, what are you saying? I just heard Bing sing about throwing the Yule log on the fire. And I thought hot cross buns were something that are fun Christmas. Thing. Listen, the people of Jerusalem during the time of Jeremiah were getting into this paganism, this whole story. And they were worshiping Semiramis, the queen mother of heaven, as she's called here in the text, the queen of heaven. Uh, and they poured out drink offerings unto other gods and they were provoking God to anger. Well, bread. That sounds like Christmas stuff that we talk about and our, our Christmas songs sing about. Well, we'll see more on that in a second or in a few minutes. Uh, let's read on, verse 19. Do they provoke me to anger, saith the Lord? Do they not provoke themselves to confusion of their own faces? Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, behold, mine anger and my fury shall be poured out upon this place, upon man, and upon beasts, upon the trees of the field, and upon the fruit of the ground, and it shall burn and shall not be quenched. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, put your burnt offerings unto your sacrifices and eat flesh, for I spake not unto your fathers, nor commanded them in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt concerning burnt offerings or sacrifices. But this thing commanded I them saying, obey my voice and I will be your God and you shall be my people and walk ye in all my ways, 
that I have commanded you that it may be well with you. But they hearkened not, nor inclined their ear, but walked in the counsels and in the imagination of their evil heart and went backward and not forward. Since the day that your fathers came forth out of the land of Egypt unto this day, I have even seen, uh, sent pardon me, unto you all my servants, the prophets, daily rising up early and sending them. Yet they hearkened not unto me, nor inclined their ear, but hardened their neck, and they did worse than their fathers. Therefore thou shalt speak all these words unto them, but they will not hearken unto thee. Thou shalt also call unto them, but they will not answer thee. But thou shalt say unto them, this is a nation that obeyeth not the voice of the Lord their God, nor receives correction. Truth is perished and is cut off from their mouth. What a sad place the children of Israel were. They, the Lord sent his prophets to say, get back to the Lord, get back to the Lord. But finally, Jeremiah is the prophet saying, it's over. And they will not hear you. They w this is what the Lord tells Jeremiah, verse 27. Therefore thou shalt speak all these words to them, but they will not hearken unto thee. That's Jeremiah's MO, man, the poor guy, the prophet that prophesied for 42 years among the men of Jerusalem and Judah, but none of them listened. Not one person listened to Jeremiah in 42 years of ministry. And the Lord told him that that's gonna happen. This tells me something, by the way, about ministry and what the Lord requires of you as a servant of the Lord. Um, and what that is, is that the Lord seems to me that he doesn't care as much about our um, faithfulness, um, um, or pardon me, or, or I should say, he doesn't care as much about our success as he cares about just being faithful. Jeremiah was a faithful prophet who just shared the word of the Lord, but you might say he was very unsuccessful having not one person listen to a word he said. But the Lord said, keep going, Jeremiah. I want you to keep prophesying, keep speaking, even though no one's listening. And there's times in ministry where you'll feel like your ministry is unsuccessful. But be careful not to measure that in terms of worldly success, numbers, and how many people you've led to Christ, or how many people go to your ministry, or a part of your thing, or go to the FCA, or Young Life, or how many people you've saved. Because frankly, there's a lot of people that try to minister their whole life, but the numbers aren't there. And they might get discouraged and say, well, I guess I might as well give up because I'm unsuccessful. The Lord measures it totally different. He says, Jeremiah, you're the man. And he, he was counted faithful in ministry. I think the Lord cares more about faithfulness, not as much about our view of what success is. Maybe success looks different in God's eyes. Uh, maybe it's just the final indictment like Jeremiah is giving, that Jeremiah is successful saying, it's coming down, you guys, are, you guys are toast. And that's what Jeremiah was called to be and to do. But the bottom line is in this chapter seven thus far, it's just that they need to change their ways but they would not hear, they would not listen. That's the sad truth. Verse 29, cut off thine hair, O Jerusalem, and cast it away and take up a lamentation on high places for the Lord hath rejected and forsaken the generation of his wrath. For the children of Judah have done evil in my sight, saith the Lord. They have set uh, their abominations in the house, which is called by my name to pollute it. And they have built the high places to Tophet, which is in the valley of the sons of Hinnom, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart. This is that valley of Hinnom. Another way of saying it is Gehinnom or Gehenna. Today in Jerusalem, this valley is still called this. It's a little green grass 
park with a swing set, I think, and a slide. Um, and it's called the Valley of Gehenna, which is the Valley of Hell. Why, why would you call such a tranquil little valley in Jerusalem uh, the Valley of Hell? Because it's where they sacrificed children during the time of, um, of these Israelis, during the time of Solomon, uh, and other times, even during this time, they were sacrificing babies in Jerusalem, like on Moloch and Chemosh, like we talked about on Sunday. And before we're too hard on them, I, I always have to say, I believe abortion is the modern day version of that. When we abort an unborn child, um, it's the same thing. And I believe it's an abomination before God. The Bible talks about how the Lord is forming a little child in the mother's womb and interacts with that child prenatally. Um, and the, the, the baby even has prenatal uh, influence and, and uh, shaping that goes on biblically. And, and uh, it's an abomination for a culture like ours to continue to uh, endorse and think abortion's all right. Um, so sad what our culture has done. Um, but all that to say, uh, even though there's many that think it's okay and it's just like the children of Israel, they will not hear. They will not listen to what God says and they will not uh, give ear to the truth, um, but they'll just keep doing their thing. That's, that's what happened to those people in those days and God's wrath was poured out. That's what's happening in these days. And I have no question in my mind, there's coming a time where God's gonna pour out his wrath upon a Christ rejecting sinful world. It's called the tribulation period. But what happens before the wrath is poured out? The rapture. God always pulls the righteous out before he pours out the, uh, the wrath upon the unrighteous. And that's your hope. If you've even had an abortion or done any other sin, like all of us have sinned, um, then you need to be saved so that the wrath of God is not poured out. And if these people would have repented in Josiah's day, in Jeremiah's day, in Jehoiakim's day, then the Lord would have saved them, but they would not hear, so they were destroyed. Same thing's gonna happen in the future. I hope you understand that. Even though some of your pastors and churches will never tell you this, it's what the Bible teaches and it teaches it very strongly. It's not even a question. Uh, God's wrath will be poured out upon a Christ-rejecting sinful world. But you and I as Christians, we can comfort one another with these words that he has not appointed us unto that wrath, but to obtain salvation through Jesus Christ. First Thessalonians 4 and 5 tells us that. Well, Jeremiah is saying, you guys are going down because of the Valley of Gehenna, burning your children on these altars. Verse 32, therefore behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that it shall no more be called Tophet, nor the Valley of the son of Hinnom, but shall be the Valley of Slaughter, for they shall bury in Tophet till there be no place. And the carcasses of this people shall be meat for the fowls of the heaven and for the beasts of the earth, and none shall fray them away then will I cause cease to cease from the cities of Judah and from the streets of Jerusalem, the voice of mirth and the voices of gladness, the voices of bridegroom and the voice of the bride for the land shall be desolate. All the partying and all the fun and all that stuff's gonna be gone. Um, and it's been, gonna become the Lord because the Lord pours out his wrath and allows the Babylonians to wipe him out. Well, this continues his... Um, you know, message continues here um, about what's gonna happen to the people of Israel as he's standing on the gates of the house of the Lord. Verse one of chapter eight, at that time, saith the Lord, they shall bring out the bones of the kings of Judah 
and the bones of his princes and the bones of the priests and the bones of the prophets and the bones of the inhabitants of the Jerusalem out of their graves and they shall spread them before the sun and the moon and all the host of heaven whom they have loved and whom they have served and after whom they've walked and whom they have sought and whom they have worshiped. They shall not be gathered nor buried, but they shall be for dung upon the face of the earth. And the death and death shall be chosen rather than life by all the residue of them that remain in this evil family, which remain in all the places whither I have driven them, saith the Lord of hosts. Um, you know, the enemies are gonna sort of, you know, take all the bones and scatter them like manure. Um, to the Jews, this is, couldn't be worse thing to hear. Um, they, they wanted to have their bones gathered. Do you remember when Joseph died in Egypt? He said, make sure and gather up my bones and take them with you as, I go to, as we go to the promised land someday. And they did. As the children of Israel, you know, 400 years later, left Egypt, they said, hey, what's that bag with those clinkly sticks? Oh, that's Joseph's bones. Um, uh, great, 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 great grandfather, Joseph, uh, died. He wanted his bones taken to the promised land. They, the Jews had tradition and, and the Judaism sort of speaks of you gather the bones together and you put them in that uh, little box, of ossuary kind of thing where, you know, not a coffin as much. But, um, but they'd gather their bones and that's something that was very important to them. So to hear that their bones would be scattered all over like dung on the hillside, um, this is Jeremiah using horrifying words uh, that the people were freaked out by. Moreover, verse four, chapter eight, thou shalt say unto them, thus saith the Lord, shall they fall and not arise? Shall he turn away and not return? Why then is this people of Jerusalem slidden back by a perpetual backsliding. They hold fast deceit and refuse to return. I hearkened and heard, but they spake not aright. No man repented of his wickedness saying, what have I done? Everyone turned to his own course as a horse rushes into battle. Yea, the stork in the heaven knoweth her appointed times and the turtle and the crane and the swallow observe the time of their coming. But my people know not the judgment of the Lord. How do you say we are wise and the law of the Lord is with us? Lo, certainly, uh, certainly in vain made he it. The pen of the scribes is vain. The wise men are ashamed. They are dismayed and taken. Lo, they have rejected the word of the Lord and what wisdom is in them. Verse nine, I've marked this because this is a characterization of really our people today. Uh, what a horrible thing to do is to reject the word of the Lord. You know, when people reject the word, it's one thing if you're a devout atheist and you're saying the Bible's full of contradictions and we hate the Bible and all this, that's one thing. But the thing that I'm concerned about is Christians who reject the word of God. And, and, and is that even possible? You know, this idea of rejecting the word um, here's the problem. If you take any part of this Bible and reject it, let's take some of your most unfavorite passages, like 1 Timothy chapter two, where the Bible says women are not to teach or usurp with authority over men in the church. Um, and yet there's churches and people that do that all the time. Uh, George Fox t uh, doesn't teach that, you know, they, women can basically be senior pastors. And, um, you know, it's just kind of this notion that's totally contrary to what the scriptures say. And so people say, well, that's not really popular today. Whoosh, and they rip out that section of the word of God. Is that a problem when you tear out pages or say, I don't really believe that for today or whatever people wanna to try to say? Here's the problem with that. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was God. 
And first, one, uh, chapter, four, chapter one, verse 14 of John, uh, after it says that in chapters one, verse one and two, then in verse 14 it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. When you're handling the word of God, I hope you're careful to take the whole word as it is in truth, the word of God and not the word of men. Um, people that say, well, men wrote that. Paul was uh, biased against women. That's why he said in 1 Timothy 2, women should not be pastors, only men in the church. Um, and so people get really upset about that and whoosh, rip it out, don't like it. But do you understand when you rip out a page of the Bible, in the beginning was the word, the word became, uh, the word was with God and was God. And then the word became flesh and dwelt among us. You are tearing out part of God by doing that to the word. Um, Jesus is the word. Lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me, saith the Lord. You, know, you see, um, people that cavalierly chalk off sections of scripture are cavalierly chalking off sections of the Lord himself. That's why we have to look at it as the Holy Bible and take the whole Bible uh, as, the, as it is. The whole Bible is God. It's all about God. It's God's heart, his mind. And as soon as you start taking things out and not agreeing with it or what have you, you're doing what these people did. And I believe God uh, deals pretty brutally with those that say, yeah, we're not gonna believe the word. That, that's something I don't wanna be in, in that group. I don't ever wanna be one, like verse nine, they have rejected the word of the Lord. And what wisdom is them? Jeremiah asks rhetorically. Uh, the answer, none. There's no wisdom in rejecting the word of God. Man, I hope that you, uh, we need people that are faithful to the word. People that just say, you know what? Even if I don't like it. And by the way, I gotta confess, there's things in the scripture I don't necessarily like. If I wrote the Bible, I would have written it differently. Um, for sure, I would have put women as pastors because women are really smart and I, I like what women do and say. And I think that men are not smarter than women. I, I don't believe that at all. Um, but as it turns out, the Bible just says that's what's supposed to happen. And that was God's plan and his purpose. So we need to stick to that. Um, that's just one example of really hundreds of things I could talk about that goes against what we think in modern day culture. Well, the Bible did that to them in those days. And they said, we don't want to hear the word. We're gonna reject the word. So what happens to them? Well, that's where we continue to hear this pretty horrific story of what's gonna to happen to them. Verse 10, therefore will I give their wives unto others and their fields to them that shall inherit them. For everyone from them to the least, even to the greatest is given to covetousness. From the prophet, even to the priest, everyone dealeth falsely. For they have healed the hurt of the daughter of my people saying slightly, peace, peace when there is no peace. In other words, this King James way of saying, they're, they're saying something that's sort of like, um, you know, trying to make them all feel better. But it's like the idea is of quackery, you know, like a doctor that's selling snake oil, trying to make people feel better. That's what these, these priests are doing. They're dealing falsely with the people saying, it's all good, peace, peace, but there's gonna be no peace. Verse 12, were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? Nay, they were not all ashamed, neither could they blush. Therefore shall they fail among them that fall. Pardon me, fall among them that fall. In the time of their visitation, they shall be cast down, saith the Lord. Um, you know, the idea is, are they embarrassed by their sins anymore? And they're proud of their sins. And again, I can't help but see the correlation between Jeremiah's people in that day to our current day, where people pridefully flaunt their sin in our culture. 
People that are happy to say, I love doing this and I love doing that. And they're posting pictures of it on their social media, even though the Bible says, don't do that. That's wrong, that's a sin. But we, we've got parades and people celebrating. Like we, we might even blow these people out of the water when it comes to celebrating and not being ashamed of sinful things. Verse 13, I will surely consume them, saith the Lord. There shall be no grapes of vine on the vine, nor figs on the fig tree. And the leaf shall fade, and the things that I have given them shall pass away from them. Why do we still uh, sit still? Assemble yourselves and let us enter into the defense cities and let them be silent there. For the Lord our God hath put us to silence and given us water of gall to drink because we have sinned against the Lord. We looked for peace, but no good came. And for a time of health and behold, trouble. The snorting of his horses was heard from Dan. The whole land trembled at the sound of the neighing of his strong ones, for they are come and have devoured the land and all that is in it, the city and those that dwell therein. For behold, I will send serpents, cockatrices among you, which will not be charmed and they shall bite you, saith the Lord. Now Jeremiah is pro prophetically and poetically getting quite, you know, uh, scary. He's uh, using this, this language that would make them freak out. Now it says, you know, the snorting of his horses was heard from Dan. What that is, is remember the very Northern part of Israel was Dan. Um, even to this day, if you go with us to Israel, I take you to the ancient place of Dan. And we stand right on the border of, of um, you know, uh, Israel and Lebanon. And we go right to the border of Israel and Syria that northernmost part. But it's like Jeremiah saying, we're hearing the, the, the snorting of the horses. And that, see, that would have freaked the Jews out because the Babylonians had horses. The Jews weren't that great with horses and they never really had much of a cavalry. But these Babylonians would come with a mighty army with their snorting horses from the north uh, and would take them out. That's, that's the idea here. Uh, very scary language, you know, the snakes will bite you uh, and what have you. So uh, pretty... Pretty uh, scary stuff. By the way, um, there's a story that I'm reminded of there uh, that Coach um, Eric Russell, years ago from Georgia's Southern College, he, uh, he arranged a couple of good old country boys to come into the locker room during one of his uh, you know, locker room talks to his, his team, his football team. He noticed that there was a problem with drug addiction and cocaine. So he brought these couple redneck hick guys into this uh, locker room and they, they took out of this little box and threw on the table right in front of all the guys, a hissing uh, rattlesnake, a big one, like a six foot long rattlesnake right onto the table in front of all the players. And the, the, all the players shrieked like little girls and, ah! and they were jumping up on chairs and trying to get away from this rattlesnake that was just wreathing on the table in front of the whole team. And they got all freaked out. And then uh, everyone screamed, everyone scattered. Russell recalls the coach. He said, but I told them when co cocaine comes into a room, you're not, not nearly as apt to leave as when a rattlesnake comes in. But, but cocaine will kill you faster than a, than a rattlesnake. And he made his point. He was known for making powerful points like that. Uh, and I guess the team actually cleaned up after that day uh, from their cocaine addiction. Um, but all that to say, that's what, that's what Jeremiah is trying to do. He's saying, man, the, the rattlesnakes are gonna, you know, gonna get, get you uh, and you won't be able to charm them, but they will bite you. Um, now you say, but Brett, you already said that these people are doomed. Don't even pray for them. Why are we even reading this stuff? Well, I think these words of Jeremiah are recorded not for them 
as much as maybe for us. All throughout history, you and I can sit and read what happens to a people that just leave the Lord altogether. Um, And uh, this is only a small city of Jerusalem in a small region called Judea. But in the last days, it's gonna be global where the Lord is gonna pour out his wrath on a Christ-rejecting sinful world. And that's all the more reason you need to be saved and forgiven of your sins and to be on the right side of this thing. For these people, it's too far. For us, it's not yet too far. You can still be saved. If you're not a Christian and you're watching this study tonight, make sure that you're saved. You do that by you know, just repentance. You repent and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. Acknowledge your sin before the Lord. And then say, Lord, I, I pray for forgiveness. And I believe that Jesus died on the cross and was buried and rose from the grave. And he died for my sins. He took the penalty that I owed. He paid the debt that he did not owe. He paid a debt that I could not pay. And so he gave his life for me. And that's what Jesus is all about. That's why the cross is celebrated by Christians because Jesus died for our sins. And anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So be saved, be a Christian. Don't, don't play games with God. It doesn't mean you're gonna be perfect or sinless, but you're not like these people who just reject the word and just keep doing their sinful thing. These words are recorded for you and me and maybe the scary language Jeremiah is being given to here, the the snorting of the horses and the the serpents and cockatrices and uh, they'll bite you, saith the Lord. That's all to remind us that sin bites you and you'll be crushed by sin. You gotta be saved from sin. Very important. Well, verse 18, when I would comfort myself against sorrow, my heart is faint within me. Behold the voice of the cry of the daughter of my people because them that dwell in the far country is not, is not the Lord in Zion, is not her king in her. We have, uh, why have they provoked me to anger with their graven images and their strange vanities? The harvest is past, the summer is ended and we are not saved. For the hurt of the daughter of my people am I hurt. I am black, astonishment hath taken hold on me. There is no balm in Gilead. There is no physician there. Why then is not the health of the daughter of my people recovered? Um, Basically, Jeremiah is compassionately bummed out that the people are going down and they've refused to take the antidote. They've refused to be saved. And so Jeremiah now is gonna share God's heartbreak, the heartbreak of the Lord in chapter nine. Let's take a look. Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes were a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Oh, that I had in the wilderness a a lodging place of wayfaring men, that I might leave my people and go from them, for they all be adulterers and assembly of treacherous men. This, by the way, is one of the verses um, that, really tells us why Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. The language here is kind of almost funny. He says, oh, that my head were waters. You know, my head was a big water balloon. That's kind of what he's saying. And that my eyes were a fountain of tears. He's, he's crying in compassion for the people who have rebelled against the Lord. Verse three, and they bend their tongues like a bow for lies, but they are not valiant for the truth upon the earth for they proceed from evil to evil and they know not me, saith the Lord. Take ye heed every one his neighbor and trust ye not in any brother for every brother will utterly supplant and every neighbor will walk with slanderers. They will deceive everyone his neighbor and will not speak the truth. They have taught their 
tongue to speak lies and weary themselves to commit iniquity. Thine habitation is in the midst of deceit. Through deceit they refuse to know me, saith the Lord. Therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, behold, I will melt them and try them. For how shall I do for the daughter of my people? Their tongue is as an arrow shot out. It speaketh deceit. One speaketh peaceably to his neighbor with his mouth, but in his heart he layeth in wait, or layeth in his, uh, his weight. Um, this phrase here in verse three caught my attention today as I was praying through this, but they are not valiant for the truth. That's what we need today. People that are valiant for the truth, brave, not afraid to speak the truth in love, but nonetheless, the truth. So many people are afraid. There's, there's not a lot of valiant people in, in speaking the truth. Um, and, and a lot of times the people that are trying to bravely speak the truth are so quickly, you know, shot by the bow of the tongue of deceit. That's what's being talked about here. These people are just, you know, saying stuff and, and now they're, they're speaking against their neighbor, but to their face, they're going, hey neighbor, how you doing? And then the neighbor walks away, what a jerk to you. Do you know what he does? And you know what he's guilty of? And they start talking about each other in deceit. We're living in a weird day. I heard uh, just the other day where, um, you know, well, over and over I'm hearing this story where, you know, people that are unmasked are being reported. The neighbors, there was a guy out mowing his lawn without his mask on. And so some of the neighbors report, like this sounds like some sci-fi movie, uh, you know, where, where people are having to tell on each other. I uh, can't believe that restaurant is letting more people in than they're supposed to. And people are reporting and stuff like that. We've had several people report Athey Creek uh, because there's people in the parking lot and they can tell we're meeting. Uh, it seems very last days to me, uh, this whole, almost like a sci-fi movie, you know, um, these people going around saying, tattling and lying about stuff. Uh, it just, it just more of that's going on. Uh, I think we'll see more of that. And, you know, the love of many will go cold. Uh, the Bible says Jesus talked about in the last days. We shouldn't be surprised to see people turning on one another. That's a mark of the end times. Uh, neighbor against neighbor, brother against brother. And uh, people wonder why there's talk of civil war in America right now. Um, we're seeing just some really weird behavior, stuff that we haven't seen, not in my lifetime, uh, until now. Um, but the, I, I see a, a similarity here, uh, the way people are treating each other in Jeremiah's time as the days that you and I are living right now. If you read that again, verse eight, their tongue is as an arrow shot out and it speaketh deceit. The tongue, man, it reminds me of James chapter three, verse six, where it says, the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire of hell. Verse eight, but the tongue can no man tame is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. That's really what Jeremiah is saying to, uh, uh, to the people. Your tongue is a bow shooting lies, arrows of lies. And uh, the people, they're just gonna stick with that. Well, um, all that to say, um, it says here in verse nine, chapter nine, verse nine, shall I not visit them for these things, saith the Lord? The word visit means judge, don't forget. Um, shall not my soul be avenged on such a nation as this? For the mountains will I take up a weeping and wailing for the inhabitations of the wilderness, a lamentation because they are burned up so that no, uh, none can pass through them. Neither can men hear the voice of the cattle, both the fowl of the heavens and the beast are fled, they are gone. And I will make Jerusalem heaps 
and dens of dragons, and I will make the cities of Judah desolate without inhabitant. Who is the wise man that may understand this? And who is he that of, uh, to whom the mouth of the Lord hath spoken, that he may declare it? For what land perisheth and is burned up like a wilderness that none passeth through? And the Lord saith, because they have forsaken my law, which I set before them, and have not obeyed my voice, neither walked therein, but have walked after their own imagination of their own heart, after Balaam, uh, which their fathers taught them. Therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will feed them, even this people, with wormwood and give them water of gall to drink. I will scatter them among the heathen whom, the, whom neither they uh, nor their fathers have known, and I will send a sword after them until I have consumed them. Verse uh, 15 speaks of uh, the Lord feeding them, you know, with wormwood and uh, giving them water of gall. We already read about gall a few, oh, last chapter. Um, what is this gall? Well, the word gall uh, means like, it's like poison water. And the word wormwood means bitter food. Um, we have a lot of Ukrainians in our church and uh, Chernobyl is the word wormwood, which is an interesting thing as Chernobyl is most famous for uh, poison. Uh, and uh, and it's, it's a, a, kind of a crazy story, but it's the same word uh, that, that the Ukrainians use for Chernobyl is this word wormwood. And, um, and the idea of wormwood is bitter or poisonous food. And uh, so that's kind of an interesting freebie for you Ukrainians out there. Uh, but the, the word wormwood and gall means the Lord's gonna say, you're, you're gonna be poisoned, but it's, it's their own doings. They've done this to their, their own selves by uh, worshiping Baal is what the Lord's saying. So verse 17, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider ye and call for the morning women that they may come. There's, by the way, in Jerusalem, they had professional mourning women. Uh, that was their job. They would go around weeping and wailing. The, the ones that could cry and scream the loudest, the longest, they were hired. And that's who Jeremiah is talking about here. Um, call for the mourning women that they may come and send for cunning women that they may come. And let them make haste and take up wailing for us that our eyes may run down with tears and our eyelids gush out with waters. For a voice of wailing is heard out of Zion. How are we spoiled we are greatly confounded because we have forsaken the land because our dwellings have cast us out. Yet hear the word of the Lord, O ye women, and let your ear receive the word of his mouth and teach your daughters wailing and every one her neighbor lamentation. For death has come up into our widows and has entered in our palaces and uh, to cut off the children from without and the young men from the streets. Speak thus, saith the Lord, even the carcasses of men shall fall as dung upon the open field as the handful after the harvestmen, and none shall gather them. Thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord, which exercises loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things do I, I delight, saith the Lord." We looked at these two verses on Sunday, but uh, isn't it powerful to see the context of those two verses? I mean, it's so warm and fuzzy on Sunday to say, oh, let not the wise man boast in his you know, wisdom, the rich man in his wealth, the mighty man in his strength. Uh, but you know, knowing the Lord, understanding the Lord, it's all so nice and beautiful, and it is, and it was. But the context of this is all these people are gonna die because they're not gonna do what this, these verses say. That's the spooky part of this. The, the word tells us the truth. And the question is, will we listen to it or will we blow it off? 
these people were gonna totally blow off everything Jeremiah is saying. And I, I hope we're not good at that. Um, the context of this, these beautiful verses, verses 23 and 24 uh, should scare you. <laughs> and it should scare us into saying, Lord, forgive us for our hard heartedness uh, when we don't listen to your word and we go with our own plan. Verse 25, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will punish all them which are circumcised with the uncircumcised. Egypt and Judah, Edom and the children of Ammon and Moab and all that are in the utmost corners that dwell in the wilderness for all these nations are uncircumcised and all the house of Israel are uncircumcised in the heart. And last week we talked about the Lord saying they were uncircumcised in the heart. They were uncircumcised in the tongue, what they said, and they were uncircumcised in the ears, what they heard. And the Lord's gonna call them to account. Should you have a Christmas tree this year? Verse one of chapter 10. Hear ye the word of the Lord, uh, which the Lord speaketh unto you, O his house of Israel. Thus saith the Lord, learn not the way of the heathen and be not dismayed at the signs of heaven for the heathen are dismayed at them for the customs of the people are vain. For one cutteth a tree out of the forest, the work of the hands, the workmen of, with the ax, they deck it with silver and with gold. They fasten it with nails and with hammers that it move not. They are upright as the palm tree, but speak not. They must needs be born or carried because they cannot go. Be not afraid of them for they cannot do evil. Neither also is it in them to do good. In other words, they're powerless. Did you see what we just read? It says, don't, it says for the customs of the people are vain, which means worthless, of no value. And they go and they cut a tree out of the forest with the work of ends and they deck it with silver and gold and fasten it to, you know, the idea of a stand with nails and a hammer. Um, boy, Brett, I think we better not have Christmas trees. Well, the problem is there's a story that kind of goes with this and it's the same story I was talking about earlier. Remember when I told you I'd get back to Semiramis, Tammuz, Mystery Babylon? Here's the thing about this. This was the custom. In fact, the New International Version gets it right on this one. I, I, I printed it out so I could read it to you. Uh, verse three and four of Jeremiah 10, it says, for the customs of the people are worthless. They cut a tree out of the forest and a craftsman shapes it with his chisel, true. They adorn it with silver and gold. They fasten it with hammer and nail so it will not totter or tip over. Um, what, what are they doing? And, and, and let me quickly answer the question. Should you have a Christmas tree? The answer is absolutely not. If you're worshiping Semiramis, Tammuz and Nimrod uh, and paganism. Uh, and if you're taking your tree from Lee Farms and you bring it home and you get a chisel out, you start chiseling away and making a little Diana or Ashtoreth or a little Baal God, no branches. We're talking about chiseling a shape of an idol. That's, this, that's what it says here. They chisel out this and they fasten this chunk of wood to a stand and this little wooden thing. They cover, they deck it with silver and gold. The idea is covering it with gold and silver. This is how they made their gods and goddesses. Um, so uh, some people say, you know, the Christians that have a Christmas tree with Christmas lights and all this, it's paganism from ancient Babylon and stuff like that. It is paganism if you're worshiping Semiramis and Tammuz. Um, it's the same thing, should you throw a log on the fire? Well, I'd say, yeah, put a log on the fire. Yeah, but they threw logs on the fire and they called it the Yule log and they used it as a worship for paganism. Yeah, if you're throwing a log on the fire because you wanna worship Semiramis and Tammuz, don't throw a log on the fire. But if you're throwing a log on the fire because you, need, you wanna have a log on the fire and you want a fire in your fireplace, throw a log on the fire. Same thing with the Christmas tree. You see, when I put a Christmas tree in my house or here in the church, 
We love the smell of evergreen trees and we think they look really pretty when they are de decorated with cool things. And guess what? Ours, what we're remembering, we're not worshiping the tree. That's what they were doing is worshiping the tree. If you're worshiping the tree, don't have a Christmas tree. But if you're having a tree because you enjoy the smell and it reminds you of Christ. When I told, uh, you know, I talked to my kids when they were little and we'd sit around the Christmas tree smelling the evergreen and looking at its branches, how lovely are thy branches. And I would explain that the evergreen is an ever, ever, always green and it speaks of everlasting life. And the tree speaks of the tree that was cut out of wood that made the cross of Jesus Christ. And that's how we have everlasting life through Jesus. When we have a Christmas tree, we're pointing to Jesus, not paganism. Um, and so uh, don't be a Grinch and say you can't have Christmas trees because of what Jeremiah 10 says. Um, if you're doing what Jeremiah 10 says, chiseling out a God and goddess and covering it with gold and stapling it or nailing it to a stand so it doesn't fall over, stop that. That's paganism and that's evil. Uh, I think we've made too much of this. Now, by the way, I already talked about hot cross buns, the Yule log, mistletoe, the Christmas tree, Easter, all of that came from ancient paganism. Then why do we as Christians celebrate it? Well, this happened like 300 you know, B, uh, AD, I should say, back when Constantine apparently accepted Christ and believed in Jesus. And Constantine took basically the old Roman empire and their paganism that, that stemmed from ancient Babylonian mystery religion, Semiramis, Temuz, and they had the priests and all this stuff that did all these pagan things. When Constantine sort of mandated Christianity and then after he died about hundred years later, they made it the religion that was legal. You had to be a Christian if you're part of Rome. Um, the priests of paganism said, what are we gonna do now that you guys are all Christians? Are we out of a job? And I'm, I'm giving you the Reader's Digest version, but basically those priests, the, the leadership in Constantine and his predecessors, they all came and said, um, said well, chill, man, just be priests of Jesus instead of uh, these pagan things. And instead of, you know, Easter, we'll call, or Ishtar, Ishtar will do Easter, the resurrection Sunday. Uh, instead, of, um, instead of, you know, celebrating the, um, you know, Tammuz and Semiramis and uh, Saturnalius and all these other things, we'll just call those dates Christmas. Isn't that funny? Because Jesus was not born on December 25th, not even close. Probably we got it at the opposite end of the calendar. It's probably more like in spring or April. Um, and uh, and so, so we've got it wrong on that. Where did, where did December you know, come from? Uh, it came from ancient paganism. That was the date that they celebrated. So they just transitioned stuff. Um, one holiday that didn't make the transition from paganism was Halloween. So I hope you understand uh, that's why we don't celebrate Halloween. They didn't make the transition to uh, where we're worshiping the Lord instead of paganism and idols and all that stuff. Now, I understand some of you might be saying, Brad, I still don't trust it. I can't do a Christmas tree because I feel like I'm doing it a little too close to Jeremiah 10, ancient paganism and Babylonianism. Well, if you're struggling with that, then um, don't do it. You know, um, be a Grinch. No, I'm just, just kidding. You, you can say, okay, I'm not gonna do that. But I, I would caution you, you know, it, it gets back to the New Testament. Remember when the church was debating about meat? Can we eat meat that's sacrificed to idols? And Paul made this interesting argument that you can eat meat sacrificed to idols, but if you're stumbling your brother, you probably shouldn't eat meat sacrificed to idols. Like it was more about, are you stumbling people? Um, are you loving people? And uh, to the pure, all things are pure. Uh, so it's, it's uh, all things are lawful for me, not everything's expedient. So we shouldn't be legalistic about Christmas trees. That's what I believe for sure. 
If a person says, I don't want anything to do with the Christmas tree because there might be some kind of a link to the ancient paganism uh, and stuff, I get it. Uh, you don't have to have a Christmas tree. But for me and for our house and for our church, it has nothing to do with that. Thankfully, over thousands of years, that's all been changed and transformed uh, to where we are just celebrating Jesus. And uh, I love Christmas. Big fan of Christmas, big fan of Christmas trees. We'll probably get ours pretty quick here for this coming season. Well, that's where people get all freaked out is this idea from Jeremiah 10, uh, nailing a, a, a tree to a stand. Well, it goes on in verse six, for as much as there is none like unto thee, O Lord, uh, thou great, art great, and thy name is great in might. Who would not fear thee, O king of nations? For to thee doth it appertain. For as much as among all the wise men of the nations in all their kingdoms, there is none like unto thee, but they are altogether brutish. The word brutish means stupid. They're brutish and foolish. The stock is a doctrine of vanities. Silver spread into plates is brought from Tarshish and gold from Euphaz. The work of the workmen of the hands of the founder, blue and purple is their clothing. They're all the work of cunning men, but the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and an everlasting King. At his wrath, the earth shall tremble and the nation shall not be able to abide in his, uh, his indignation. Thus shall ye say unto them, the gods have not made the heavens and the earth. Even they shall perish from the earth and from under these heavens. He, sh he hath made the earth by his power. He hath established the world by his wisdom and he hath stretched out the heavens by his discretion. Um, this is great. He says all these people are making their gods with the work of men's hands, these gods and goddesses. But the thing that separates the fake gods from the true God is creation. Those gods can't even carry themselves, verse, eight, uh, verse five. They must be born or carried. Um, but, you know, uh, Jeremiah says the, the thing that separates the fake little G gods from the true and living God is creation and how important that is. I, I hope you're a one who hasn't caved to the stupidity of evolution. It's, it's really ridiculous. And even science is, is starting to say, we gotta come up with something better because even if you give it billions of years, there's no way uh, evolution could have really happened uh, from prebiotic soup to the, to the complexities that we see. Even if you get it built billions of years, I love what G.K. Chesterton said about this. He said, it is absurd for the evolutionist to complain that it is unthinkable for an admittedly unthinkable God to make everything out of nothing. And then to pretend that it is more thinkable that nothing should turn itself into something. <laughs> I love that, good quote from Chesterton. Uh, you either believe that in the beginning God created the heavens or the earth, or, or you believe in the beginning nothing became something really amazing. Like poof, out of nothing. At least we know that God pre-existed and uh, always existed, he's eternal. And he created the heavens. That's, that's less far-fetched than out of nothing came something. Uh, you have to be a, a crazy person to believe that. Uh, well, all that to say, uh, that's what Jeremiah says. These people are crazy to worship their pagan gods that they make with their own hands. Verse 13, when he uttereth his voice, there was there's a multitude of waters in the heavens and he causeth the vapors to ascend from the earth of the earth, from the ends of the earth. He maketh lightnings with rain and brings forth the wind out of his treasures. Every man is brutish or stupid in his knowledge 
Every founder is confused or confounded by the graven image for his molten image is falsehood. There's no breath in them. They are vanity and the work of errors. In the time of their visitation, they shall perish. The portion of Jacob is not like them for he is the former of all things, former of all things. And Israel is the rod of his inheritance. The Lord of hosts is his name. Gather up thy wares out of the land, O inhabitant of the fortress. For thus saith the Lord, behold, I will sling out of the inhabitants of the land at this once and will distress them that they may find it so. Woe is me for my hurt. My wound is grievous, but I said, truly, this is a grief and I must bear it. My tabernacle is spoiled. All my cords are broken. My children are gone forth of me and they are not. There is none to stretch forth my tent anymore and to set up my curtains for the pastors are become brutish, stupid and have not sought the Lord. Therefore they shall not prosper and all their flocks shall be scattered. Behold, the noise of the brute, uh, brute is come and great commotion out of the North country to make the cities of Judah desolate and a den of dragons. O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. O Lord, correct me, but with judgment, not in thine anger, lest thou bring me to nothing. Pour out thy fury upon the heathen that know thee not and upon the families that call not on thy name. For they have eaten up Jacob and devoured him and consumed him and have made his habitation desolate. Jeremiah at the end here is sort of pining as he realizes it's a lost cause. You know, there's coming a day where we might even see that. It feels a little bit like that now. If you feel like it's a lost cause, like Jeremiah, we can't say we're at that point yet. We don't know if we're at that place where the pastors have become stupid and not seeking the Lord, where the, you know, the, the fury is coming for sure, you know, soon. We know that's coming. We just don't know when. So until that happens, you and I need to keep plugging away and being faithful and show people Jesus. Um, I love what he says there, Jeremiah in verse 23. Oh Lord, I know that the way of man is not within himself. Men can't direct their own selves. We don't know how to go the right way or do the right thing. Um, you know, I feel like a lot of us don't know where we're going or why we're going where we're going. But as a Christian, you can know for sure. And we have a plan and a purpose. Uh, but as an unbeliever, you're, you're gonna end up in real trouble. The story is told of a man flying across America in 1976 as he rose up from his seat before 9-11 and before you know, um, the security measures and everything. He rose up from his seat, drew a gun and took the, the flight attendant hostage. And he said, take me to Detroit, he said. She turned around to him and said, we're already going to Detroit. He said, oh, good. And then he sat back down in his seat. <laughs> I thought that's a bad day if you're a you know, hostage taker or plane hijacker. Uh, oh, the plane's already going where I wanna go. Mm, okay, sorry, my bad. Uh, there's a lot of people that are like that in this world. They think they know what they're doing and they're doing drastic things only to find out that it's brutish. That word that's used over and over in the King James, brutish, 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 it's used several times tonight. It's just the word stupid. Don't be stupid. Follow after the Lord, do the right thing. Don't um, dabble with paganism and sinfulness and you know, things that are contrary to God's word. Don't rip out pages of God's word, but take the whole counsel of God and, 
and follow Jesus with all of your heart. Whatsoever you do, Colossians 3.23, do everything heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. This is a day that we live where it's time to be radical. It's not time to be playing around and messing around with sinful stuff. Um, very important. And I hope that, there, that we have more of the heart of Jeremiah of compassion and maybe even a little bit of brokenness as we see our world. You know, you might be tempted to be really bitter and angry about all those people that are different than you and think differently than you and are anti-biblical, anti-God, pro-abortion, you know, all this stuff. Instead of just being furious, one of the things we should do is also be really compassionate. And like Jeremiah, be uh, weeping for a sinful, godless world right now. And maybe if we can shine the light on, on the situation and point people to Jesus, maybe more and more people will come to know Jesus and repent of their sins. Um, we have the hope still. It seems that Jeremiah, the day their number was up, the time had come and God said, time's up. That time is coming today, uh, sometime, some, somewhere, uh, I believe possibly in the near future. Uh, whether it's soon or later, we should still be busy about the gospel, showing people Jesus, who's the one who saves. Lord, we pray tonight as we look at these chapters, I pray that you'd bless your church that we'd be a people who um, submit to your word. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't cut out pages or truth uh, that we don't like and, and uh, be like these people who just sort of make up their own thing as they went. Uh, may we be submitted to you. Lord, I pray that we'd be broken before you with a broken and contrite spirit. These people had a stiff neck and they were unchanging and did not believe your word. I pray that you'd soften the hearts of men, Lord, today, and that more and more people might come to a saving knowledge of your, your son, Jesus Christ, the savior of the world. So we pray blessing tonight as we close this teaching time, this Wednesday night Bible study may bring forth good fruit, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.